Hello and welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. On today's episode, we'll be discussing a report called Financial Advice, Vertically Integrated Institutions and Conflict of Interest. My name is Tessa Loftus and with me this time around is Senior Executive Leader of Financial Advisors at ASIC, Joe Bird. Joe, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Tessa. So can you tell me what this report is about? Well, the report looks at what we found when we looked at the personal financial advice that people are getting from the licensees associated with the five largest financial services institutions in Australia. So that's ANZ, AMP, CBA, NAB and Westpac, is that right? That's right. We looked at the two largest advice licensees by number of advisors, controlled or owned by each of those five institutions. And what were you specifically looking at in the review? Well, these banks all provide financial advice, but they also produce financial products. We wanted to see which products were being sold to customers when financial advisors were providing personal financial advice. And then we looked at the quality of the advice that customers received when they were recommended to buy a product that was produced by the institution. So looking first at product sales, what were you looking at there? We looked at the balance between how many in-house and external products are on each licensee's approved product list. The approved product list is a list of financial products the licensees have approved for their advisors to recommend to customers. We also looked at where the customer's money was being invested. That is, we looked to see what products advisors were actually recommending to the customers. And what did you find? Well, on average, we found that about 79% of the products on the approved product list were external products, that is, products manufactured by someone other than the institution, and 21% of the products were in-house products, that is, they were products manufactured by the institution itself. But we found that a significant majority of customer money, that's about 68% of the money, was being invested in the in-house products. There was, of course, a range between the different licensees that was quite significant, so that's an overall figure. Some banks were much closer to a 50-50 split, and some are even further apart than the 68%. And is that imbalance a concern? Not necessarily, but it could be. We certainly wouldn't expect to see a split that represented the same proportions of external and in-house products as are on the approved product list. An issue only arises with that in-house external balance if it looks like the customers are being directed to in-house products where those in-house products are not in their best interests. So I assume this is where the quality of advice component of the report comes in. What did you find when you looked at best interests issues? We looked at 200 files where advice on an in-house superannuation product had been given to customers. So we looked at 40 files from the largest advice licensee at each of the five institutions. And we assessed whether the advice in those files was in the client's best interest, which is of course what the law requires. The most concerning thing was that in 10% of the advice we reviewed, our assessment was that the customer would be in a significantly worse position due to taking the advice. These clients had changed or purchased a superannuation product on the advice of the licensee, and based on our assessment, they're likely to end up in a significantly worse financial situation. So that's obviously a serious problem for those people, but does that mean that 90% of the advice was good? No. Overall, we found that another 65% of the advice we reviewed did not comply with the law, even though it wasn't as financially detrimental. So 75% in total, that's a high level of non-compliance. What does that mean in practice, and how serious a problem would you say that is? Well, it's certainly not what we or the consumers would want to see. That 65% of files fell into one of three categories. 
First of all, in some of the files, there was a potentially a negative impact on the customer's financial position, but the consequences were less severe than those files that we put in the 10% category. Or secondly, the advice didn't really seem to have any real impact on the customer's financial situation, but nevertheless, it didn't comply with what the law requires. In the third category of files, there simply wasn't enough information on the file for us to assess what the impact on the customer would be. But the problem with all of those three categories is that essentially the advisors had not demonstrated that following the advice would leave the customer in a better position. And that's a problem. Customers go to a financial advisor and take their advice so that they can improve their position. And how does this tie in with the information you gathered on which products are being sold by these institutions? Well, we put the two pieces of the project together and said that given the high levels of non-compliant advice we had found, and the high levels of selling of in-house products, we think that there's a possibility that the institutions are not properly managing the conflict of interest between their two roles, their role as manufacturer of financial products and their role as advisors to customers. So I assume you'll be doing more work in this area. Will you be taking regulatory action? Yes, there are a variety of aspects we'll be following up. The report contains some suggestions for all vertically integrated entities to assess which products their advisors are selling and if significant proportions of in-house products are being sold, to check that there are no inherent incentives for selling those in-house products, which may be distorting the quality of advice being given to customers. We're already engaging with the institutions, actually, in relation to their personal advice businesses, and we're working with them to improve the quality of their advice and the way they monitor and supervise their advisors. Of course, where we are aware of instances of customers suffering specific detriment, we'll ensure those customers are compensated. We're also looking more broadly across the whole advice industry at situations where vertically integrated businesses may not be managing the conflicts of interest that inherently arise. We're proposing to consult with the financial advice industry and other relevant groups on a proposal to introduce public reporting of approved product lists where an advice licensee is part of a vertically integrated institution. That would provide some transparency around the management of the conflict of interest that is inherent in a vertically integrated business model. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more on this issue in the near future and we'll post a link to the report in the Information for This podcast. Thanks for your time today, Joe. Thanks, Tessa. And we'll be back with another episode of the ASIC podcast very shortly. Mm-hmm.